Welcome to the kitchen. <laughs> to the kitchen, I like that. <laughs> Damn, that's how we should have started it. That's how. We, that's exactly how we should have. Welcome to the kitchen. We some stupid people. All right. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's how we're gonna introduce. That, that's how we'll introduce every episode. Thank Welcome you for. I like that. Thank you for coming into this kitchen. I like that. Yeah. So what's uh starting all over? We started it. For those of you that heard it and listened in, thank you. Awesome. Uh, we we got some interesting feedback from the first two. Yeah, definitely interesting. Definitely. Gotta take it. You know, like we don't expect anything. Like, well, I'm gonna be a millionaire because of a podcast. You know, like that's not the the idea of it. Which I think is listening to more podcasts from different perspectives and even different stylistically like like i listened to that one sean brock one mm. like it was one of his chefs with him in the kitchen and his own podcast and he has a different style and it's pretty cool it's interesting diving into the podcast world i i still need to listen to his podcast i enjoy it i'm pretty sure i will I don't think I have. I, I don't think I've listened to a podcast that I didn't necessarily enjoy. Maybe I've listened to a few that just maybe I not that I didn't enjoy, but I was like kind of like, eh, you know, like it is what it is. Right. So, but you still learn from that. You, know? you can exactly. still listen to the whole thing. That's where you learn the most. Yeah, you, it's like. Uh making a recipe starting a podcast is like creating a new recipe you got to see what works what doesn't and sometimes you have to start over yeah you have to throw the whole thing in the trash and start over again why not i've done that with a lot of recipes i've done that with food before mm. garbage i know like there you was you don't want to waste but still you know there was I was trying to do uh, a shrimp in puff pastry dish, and I thought it would work if I put the shrimp in raw and let cover with the puff pastry and then let it cook in the oven. Yeah, and let it cook in the oven, and it didn't work at all. You gotta. You gotta par cook the shrimp. Yeah, par cook the shrimp halfway. Mm-hmm. Then you don't want the shrimp to get hard either. Yeah, if you if you overcook shrimp, it becomes rubber, and then it's just yeah, it's kind of like lobster. It's like like a big rubber band like across the kitchen. I and I worked with lobster. I've overcooked it plenty of times. I have. I've worked with. I've worked with it. I have a little bit of experience with it, and I've also seen it a lot, and I've heard the. I've also gotten the experience of like hearing the customers complain of it mm-hmm. or, you know, the guest complain or whatever you want to call them. Um, so it's, that's a very, lobster is great. I love lobster. I'll eat lobster all day long, but if it's not cooked right, it's one of those things where like, the doesn't work. I mean, it's not so much a question of would you, it's that could you afford to eat lobster yeah. all day long? <laughs> No, I definitely can't. <laughs> uh, once once a year, I think is. <laughs> I think it's once every ten years for me. <laughs> that's just how much I I can't afford lobster. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I, I I'm a fat ass, so I like eating what I like to eat. So. <laughs> Speaking of fat assery, Thanksgiving was last week. <laughs> it was good. Uh, went down to Miami, mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. It was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I had a smoked turkey, which I haven't... I have had it before. Probably not that good. It's beautifully cooked. Oh, moist and soft. And it was actually for, like, turkey breast, which is, like, usually a dry meat. You really mm-hmm. have to take care of that. If not, it does come out kind of dry. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was really good. I think... I've had the in, the experience of dry turkey almost my entire life. And I think what it is is that... You have to cook it to 165, right? But when you cook it to 165 and you let it rest, 
there's a lot of carryover cooking going on and it dries the meat out. And because of that, I've never really liked turkey that much. And I think it's just because it's such a finicky bird. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not like, I guess, like chicken in that sense. Or like chicken, you can do a lot with it. Right, turkey, yeah. I'm sure you can do a lot with turkey, but it's a much more delicate cook than chicken. Yeah, and like um, what I did was I scored my turkey breast. And I took uh, canned cranberry sauce. I mixed some paprika, some cayenne, salt, pepper. Your turkey was banging. Thank you. And I turn it into like this braising sauce. Add a little, little bit of uh, chicken broth. And I just, I went to town with it. And it was the first turkey I've ever cooked. So, and I, I learned two things. One, there's like this little phallic thing that's inside the ass of the turkey. Yeah, it's like this little, I don't know what it is. I have no, I, I don't work with turkey that much. That's something that's the journey. I actually have an idea of what I want to do with actually every single protein that I could afford. You know, like that's something you have to build up to, but mm -hmm. cook at home and I want to cook every different, you know, like braise it or roast it or pan fry it. I don't know. And I want to do that with every single different cut of meat that I could possibly find. Personally, I, I enjoy braising. I think that that's my favorite sort of cooking technique with the oven is just do, do a sear and then finish it off braising in the oven. It's a, I think there's just a lot more flavor absorption with that. Yeah. I, you, you lose the, you use the, the, if you make a stock for it, mm. um, like that shoulder, what is it? The shoulder beef I made? Yeah. Beef shoulder. Mm -hmm. That was okay. It did pretty good. It's a start. Yeah. It's a start. You were learning about it. I think if, uh, what would you do with a dry heat method? Dry heat? Yeah, like no braising, no liquid, just... Roasting? Yeah, just straight up roasting. Uh... Because I believe low and slow is the way to go with that. Pork. I want to... I want to... Like, I've... I guess work... I haven't really... I have cooked the pork growing up. I know mm. I have. I mean, it actually came out pretty good. I did that last Thanksgiving. And it came out pretty good. It came out really good. It was really nice... My parents enjoyed the shit out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think pork, like working, like using a cajina, for instance, is like that's like a big Cuban thing. Mm -hmm. Do cajina, we just straight whole pork. We season it, and it's just like I don't know how many hours because I've never really counted, but it seems like all day long, and you just let it cook, and then after that you can make like I I make a a gravy out of the. The turkey fat that comes out. The pan drippings. Or the, sorry, the pig fat. The drippings. Yeah. So there's a pan under, we take that and I make a gravy out of that. Which, now that I know a little bit more, that gravy's going to be a lot better. Before it was just garlic, onion. Right. And I added straight flour to it. Now really? it's going to be completely different, yeah. That sounds delicious, though. Yeah. Like, I would love to taste that. Yeah. yeah. Um... I usually put it on the rice. Like my cousin makes this like yellow rice. It's like a, it's like a pinto bean rice, mm -hmm. but it's yellow rice and he cuts like sausages. He throws it on in there, and me and my cousin get that gravy and we're just like, <laughs> right on top of the rice, like fat asses. We might be the only two doing it in the party, but hey. <laughs> oh, if I was at that party, I'd be doing it too. Let me think. So what, what, uh, what do we, what's this, uh, podcast going to include? I think, uh, what are we gonna, what's the goal of it? The, I mean, the goal is pretty simple. Just, you know, sharing our experiences, what we've gained in knowledge and experience and 
really talking about it, really sharing our passion, our interests, our inspirations, our frustrations in the kitchen. Because, <laughs> because believe me, there is there is, there are a lot of frustrations. Yeah, I mean, we do what we're passionate about doesn't mean it doesn't get frustrating. Anything you do in life, almost anything you do in life, is gonna be frustrating. You know? Oh yeah, sitting down on a, co- on a couch watching TV. <laughs> but even then, playing video games could get frustrating. I know. <laughs> so it's part of life. It is. It is. That's that's what. At times, not at times, almost all the time, makes you want to come back. Like if you're really passionate about something, you wanna you get beat up one night, and next night you're like, "All right, do it all over again." Yeah, you just go in with a. You just go in every day with a great attitude, no matter what happens the next day or the the previous day. Is that one of the best advice that I've ever been given? Uh, was whatever happens that day, just leave it in the kitchen, and then come back the next day like nothing ever happened. Yeah, you can. I I learned that very quickly. You can't let emotions get into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So. Or any job for that matter, but kitchens especially. And there was there was something in my first culinary job. Um, something that always puzzled me is that I would go up to my chef and be like, "Hey, so I'm really sorry about yesterday's performance. I uh, I'm gonna do better." And even though he saw what was going on he witnessed everything that was going on, my struggles, my shortcomings, my failings. He acted like he didn't know what I was talking about. And I think he really amplified that saying, like, you know, whatever happened yesterday happened. Today is just a new day. So we're going to focus on today. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, you obviously have to learn from it. Mm -hmm. Try not to make the same mistake, but I mean, you're, that's, I read that first, when I first really started getting into culinary and researching chefs and that, and like what, what a chef should re- resemble or exactly. what it takes to be a chef. Like you're going to make mistakes. Like the top chefs make mistakes. We all look at everyone and we go, oh, you know, there's no way they make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. They all started somewhere and even growing as you know, top chefs in the world, they're making mistakes. They they would have made a lot of mistakes early on in their career, and failure is probably the best teacher. Yeah. And something that someone else had said to me is that the only way you're going to learn is by failing. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're a perfectionist, which a lot of chefs are, a lot of cooks are. When you're a perfectionist, failure doesn't feel like an option. It's it's almost treated like a life or death situation. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're passionate about something. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like, if you enjoy what you do and you want to get better at it, mm-hmm. when you fail at something, which is, at me personally, like, I get upset. Like, I'm mad. I get mad at myself. Most of the time, it's mad at myself. You know, like, but that's just me. You know, that's just the nature of the game. If you're not getting mad for making a mistake, then you're not you're not passionate about what you do. I think one of the hardest things as far as failing and growing in this industry, the hardest thing that any aspiring chef can do is learn to control their emotions in the kitchen. Like anybody can fuck up. Uh Let's say uh, risotto. Anybody can fuck it up. Even a master chef. It's it's mostly unlikely that a master chef could fuck up a risotto. But, you know, all it takes is like one second to look away to try and take care of something else. And then the risotto is just like overcooked. You constantly have to be on top of it. Exactly. You have to babysit that dish. Yeah. yeah or you can control the heat. Yeah. Like you... Uh... Not low and slow, but if you turn the heat down, it mm-hmm. doesn't cook as fast, so it won't burn the bottom of the pan. 
there's um when you do risotto i know there's a lot of adding stock and stirring adding stock and stirring is there a point where you just kind of let the liquid reduce just a little bit or is there or you, as soon as it's what do you mean by reduce like um like what do you mean you mean like you let the the rice absorb the chicken stock not really i know there's you have to constantly stir it you have to constantly babysit it so is there ever a point where once it's done you can just let it sit there no 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 i mean yes but you should it gets old you know and it doesn't look good okay it gets like you know it depends what cheese you're using i guess but like the mascarpone for instance so it gets it's creamy but there's only a certain point where any food sitting there is gonna it kind of looks waxy doesn't it yeah okay. it's like kind of like plastic okay i mean i'll be honest like i will eat the shit out of overcooked waxy looking risotto because i mean it's still gonna taste good to me I, if you serve it to a chef like let's say gordon ramsay though he will rip you apart. You he would. <laughs> he would throw that on the ground. No, I mean, it, I guess you're... How are you making the risotto? There, there, that's I mean, what it comes down to. I mean, I don't think it's... Because as far as I know, the technique of risotto stays the same no matter what. I think it's not so much how you make the risotto, more so what you put into it. And I'm not thinking about it now. I think I heard, I, I think I saw an episode of Hell's Kitchen where, it, and I could be wrong, um, uh, pumpkin risotto. That sounds good. It does. I'm not a big pumpkin fan, but that sounds good. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could just be bullshitting that, but I think hearing pumpkin risotto, I don't think it'd be something that I would eat every day, but I think it'd be definitely something I would try once. Try once, and then you can also, depends how you get that flavor, um, uh, what is it called, match it with a different flavor. Mm -hmm. uh, the plating. I think, using with it. I think squash would go really great with that. Because you have... The flavor components, you have the fall components in there. Um, I think it would be very a uh, very seasonal dish. And I think it would go great with... It's seasonal right now. It, it is. Uh, I, would have, I would have to say some kind of pork dish. I think it would go really great with some kind of pork dish. Yeah. I think... Uh... There's a bunch of different things, obviously a bunch of different things you can do. Um, so what else? What, what, uh, what gave, what made you want to be a chef? What made you want to take the leap and choose it? Or was it already something in your bloodline? Stuff like that. I think it's a... I think it's a mix of a lot of different things. Um, a mix of what's in my bloodline. Um, my family on my mother's side has been, as I've been told, hugely influenced by food. Um, they back in when my mom was a kid, they would have like these large family gatherings and they would they would make a lot of food, um, a, a lot of different styles of food, and I remember as a kid, um, you know that saying, you're never going to be a better cook than, you know, and you're never going to be a better chef than your mom, right? Probably not, no. You've never heard that? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. So, Grandma's cooking, mom's cooking. Yeah. And Home so, cooking. Exactly, exactly. And so when I was a kid, my mom was the best chef in the world to me. I and I loved loved her spaghetti. 
And I remember watching Emeril Lagasse on the TV with her while she was doing some cooking, doing something in the kitchen. She was always working in the in our kitchen. She was always doing something. And I I really loved that. And I remember as a kid, there was like this career day where uh, we would we took this field trip to like this convention center. And it was like a bunch of different people that uh, the class would talk to about, you know, their jobs. There was one that was an engineer. There was one that was like in IT. And there was, there was one that was a chef. And I remember this very clearly. He was talking about what he was doing. And I remember staying behind. And he was passing out free cookies that he had made earlier. I remember staying behind and I was asking him questions and uh, I was asking like, hey, do you like kind of eat the things that you make? Because I was, I was very hungry as a kid. You know, I was <laughs> not in the sense that, you know, my family wasn't doing well. I was just like, I was excited about food as a kid, just the flavor wise, right? Even though I was extremely picky as a kid, I was extremely picky. But I, I mean, that. That's part of being excited about flavors, like trying uh, the watermelon cucumber. That was like, I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks good. I, I mean, it's, good. It, it's good. It's really good. I, I would love to know what to do with that, but right. I'm sure you can put in some sort of salad and you know, slice it up. That's, that's where someone did crossbreeding with a watermelon and a cucumber, right? Yeah, I think that's one thing that it's grown in me mm -hmm. that I find very interesting. Um, uh, very interesting, and I want to know more about it, is the farming and stuff like that, like where the food comes from, how it's grown, like all sorts of, like Sean Brock, like, don't get me wrong, it makes breeds of pigs and like mm -hmm. not just a regular pink pig that we know, you know, like, yeah. you know, like what is it from Charlotte's Web, Little Piggy, right? Uh, like different <laughs> Charlotte's <laughs> Web, <laughs> whatever, it's the first pig that came to mind. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, that I find super interesting, and I find it like, oh, okay. There's something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it was just like, it was always there, right? And that's just to, like, finish up on what I was saying earlier. It was like, it was always there. The influence was always there. And at first, I just wanted to, I wanted to learn it as a life skill. And then as the moment my mom taught me my first recipe, which was um, chocolate chip cookies. I fell in love with it. I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> From that exact moment. Yeah. And, but what about you? What was what was the defining? Excuse me. What was the moment you you realized you wanted to do? Where did it come from? Um, honestly, when I started working up here in Orlando. That's when I realized, like, okay, this is what I want to do. Because I'm a little older, and I've done a bunch of different things. and You know, didn't go to culinary school, so I was jumping around job to job and stuff like that. And never found my little niche. I always enjoyed cooking. Mm -hmm. Like, family cooks. And my mom, even, like, one thing that I look back at, it was always interesting to me was how, like, my mom changed <clears throat> our style of eating. Mm. Um, so she was using like more healthy, you know, like not vegan stuff, but like salads and yeah, vegan stuff. Um, and we weren't eating like typical Cuban meals every day, like, mm -hmm. which is usually Cuban families eat typical Cuban meals. Right. So like that exploration, my mom has always, she has a bunch of cooking books at home and always in the kitchen and she loves it. You know, that's. I talk to my mom all the time about food. Um, so it was always there. I always cooked at home. And my friends would be like, oh, this tastes good. I was like, 
thank you i guess cool awesome that's you like i never really thought about it <laughs> so it wasn't uh and I, i've worked in restaurants i worked front of the house mm-hmm. food runner you know i've been in the kitchen before so i enjoyed working in kitchens you know like i enjoyed being in the back of the house and i enjoyed just being in a restaurant environment uh not always the best restaurants but i still enjoyed it um but I, I find what I find now that the reason I chose it is because there is, to me, there's so much history behind it. And you can't get bored. No. Like you, every day you go in, you're trying to improve. You're trying to grow yourself. And even at home, like looking up videos and researching stuff and studying and stuff like that. Like even the little podcasts. And like even the podcast is that's something or like that's a passion yeah i think well, let's you... start a podcast of what <laughs> There's, we can talk about anything exactly I, I mean if you work in a kitchen and you're bored you're either in the wrong kitchen or you're just in the wrong job yeah yeah i mean you you can get bored to a day-to-day thing mm-hmm. with like the same menu every day right you get bored as far as like okay, this is what we're doing every day and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, you do want to, I, you know, eventually you want to work in the kitchen where, like, not every day, but we cook more. Right. Than just have a specific menu. Right. You know, and that's, uh, you know, that's how you evolve. But you, everyone starts somewhere. I think, you know, when you work with a set menu that doesn't change, I think what comes across is creational boredom. Like yeah. you, you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, and you're wanting to branch out, but you can't. So you just kind of get creatively bored. Like you, you don't really come up with anything new and you you just kind of like put everything else on the back burner. Yeah. But it's also a time to like, for me, and since I'm, I'm in a perfect spot because I'm in a, in a great kitchen where I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And not only learned food, but learned like personal stuff, like stuff that you can bring home and you just become a better person. So if you're in a good situation like that, it's, I mean, that's like click. Like if you're improving as not only as uh, like you want to be a chef someday and you're improving mm-hmm. on your food skills and you're building your knowledge, but on top of that, you're building everything else that you need to become a good chef. Right. You can't turn away from it. You know, I mean, if you, even if you wanted to, you can't. Right. You know, any smart person would be like, let's do it. Exactly. Right. I, I actually think working in a kitchen that has like, that doesn't veer too much into creativity. I think that's like a great starting point though, because you get to learn the ins and outs. Um, you get to learn proper food techniques. You get to learn uh, proper food handling techniques. It's just, a, it's a really great starting point. And then, you know, when you work there, uh, like a year, maybe two tops, then you can kind of say, you know, I've, I've gotten the experience. I've gotten the speed. I think I'm ready to try something new. Yeah. Yeah. You get, a. you get to, you know, that's when you find now you're, you're doing more than just cooking every day. You start learning more about the kitchen you start learning okay now this goes with this this goes with this and not controlling the kitchen but you're being in a team and you mm-hmm. see things and you start like okay you're doing that wrong you're doing this right blah 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 and that's that's what it takes to be a, a good chef because every you know like not not anyone no one could run a kitchen by themselves no you know like when it comes to like if you're on the you know expo and you're the one looking at the plates and sending it out to the tables, yeah. And the chef is the top guy telling everyone what to do, yes. But the kitchen is a, is a team effort from the bottom all the way to the top. The, ki- the Not only the kitchen, but the restaurant in general is a team effort. Mm-hmm. From the top to the bottom. Exactly. No, Nobody can run the fucking kitchen by themselves. You can't run a restaurant by yourself, period. No. You'll you'll burn and crash. In just one service. You'll you'll burn yourself out. I I, I don't even want to know how many 
how many chefs have failed and probably great chefs. Like not failed, but you know, like the restaurant went out of business or, you know, whatever it is. I wouldn't, I mean, starting a restaurant is probably like the, one of the trickiest things to ever do because unless you're well-established, there's no hundred percent guarantee that it's going to work. But sometimes you get established by starting a restaurant. And, but it comes, it breaks down to a few factors. You know, you got to know your demographic. You got to know what the location needs. You know, um, I work in a Turkish restaurant, right? But if you opened up a Turkish restaurant in my hometown, uh, Beckley, West Virginia, I can't say that it would work. Yeah. Because... All location. I mean, not all location, but a big portion of his location. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think the, the, the reason why a Turkish restaurant in West Virginia would somewhat fail is because the type of food that's involved in that location is more so comfort food mm-hmm. so um you know coming from a mining town you know people weren't eating out in five-star restaurants uh, i think the fanciest thing that they've had would be like olive garden that they would consider that absolute fine dining up there and they have i've heard it uh, <laughs> all i've got <gotten laughs> today <laughs> Olive I mean, it's Garden. good. Olive Garden's Olive good. Olive Garden's good. I'm just not saying it's Michelin it's not, star. Yeah, it's I'm just like, like I've heard this. Like, there's an Olive Garden up there. It don't get no much better than that. I swear to you. I swear on the Bible. Yeah, there's, I, a corner, there's a corner Italian place right here that's for Olive Garden. <laughs> no, but it's... You must I know what you mean. shitty Olive Garden. Then. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> what do you mean your unlimited breadsticks aren't li- unlimited? <laughs> It's not a, you know, I I think that's like another, like, there's a difference between a chain like Olive Garden or Friday's or Chili's, and then there's a difference between that and like a mom and pop shop that you just drive out to the corner, turn left, and boom, hey, what's this spot? You walk in there and it's like the best food you've ever seen in a restaurant in your life. You're like, what is this? But they're there for two years, and you're like, what happened? <laughs> it happens all the time in Miami. Like, I've had some, like, I mm. countless. I don't even remember. I can't even mention any of them because I, I don't remember them. But, like, you walk into a random place, and you're like, no, oh, it's right here. Those are the hidden gems. Yeah. There's actually a Spanish restaurant. It's still there in Miracle Mile, on Miracle Mile. <clears throat> it's probably the best Spanish food I've ever had. And he is like a chef. I don't know his name. Uh, but he, it's like on Miracle Mile. And it's like a hidden restaurant. And it has like 10 tables or whatever. And the chef comes out and he talks to the customer, like talks to the guests and everything. And like he, it's a very small place, but he's successful at it. And he's like top of the notch stuff. Like, I mean, oof, when it comes to Spanish food in Miami, one of the best. And it's a mama pop spot. It's not a chain that you can't go to Virginia and find it. Like yeah. you have to go to that one specific spot to find them. Yeah. So I think there's kind of like a a cool like there's there's a big difference between it. Where mm-hmm. like can it be successful? Yeah, sure it can. But if an Italian place was open next next to Olive Garden, you're gonna get ripped up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like you know like unless you're again a mission star top real top notch restaurant you're mm-hmm. gonna get run over because it's it's hard to compete with those guys it is but they're more expensive and if you're opening up a restaurant that you aim to be michelin star you gotta go where the money is I mean, you you can't go to you can't go to the Midwest 
and open in the middle of nowhere where the economy isn't doing that great and open try and open up a Michelin star restaurant where the entrees are like $60 and nobody can afford that you you wouldn't fail in the first five years you'd fail in the first month that's why I'm not a big Michelin star fan I think that's nonsense I think it's great <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I think it's nonsense. I think like if you're gonna a Michelin, a Michelin star has nothing to do with. To me, at least in my opinion, it has nothing to do with location. If your restaurant is good, boy. If if it's really about the food and mm-hmm. it's not about, I mean, I I don't know what the actual judging is, but I'm sure it has how the food is kept and in and out of of a restaurant. And it's more than just the food mm-hmm. that a Michelin star. I'm sure. Um, but like. What I mean is, like, I don't know exactly what it means to right. a Michelin star. But, like, if a restaurant is run right, fresh food, mm-hmm. top-notch food, you know, like... Creative. Creative, the whole, it looks good, it tastes good, everything. Just because I mean, they're in the, the middle of nowhere doesn't mean they can't be a Michelin star. You know what, that's, that's true. I mean, Michelin star, the Michelin star let's say program is run by the Michelin man, you know, a tire company yeah. it, because their goal is, you know, you, you want to have tires that are going to last a long time. So if you're going out of your way to drive to these hidden gems, then it's, you should definitely make it exactly. Then it's com- <laughs> somewhat considered Michelin star. And the thing is, they should get a star just because you have to drive out of the way because it's a Michelin damn tire. Well, here's the thing <laughs> is that when you think of what comes to mind when you think of Michelin star restaurants? From what I know of it, it has to be a golly restaurant that I've never even ate at. Like right. it has to be some sort of top chef in the world. Gordon Ramsay, I'm sure. I don't even know how many he has, but he has. Someone like that it has to be in a prime location, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere in France, New York. You know, I don't know if Miami has any. I don't. I don't not that I recall. Uh, some something like that. Spain, like a prime, right. has to be like in Madrid or like in a capital city in the world. Right. All right. So I'm gonna blow your mind. Um. A lot of fine dining, absolute fine dining, uh, top scale restaurants have Michelin stars, but not every restaurant that has a Michelin star is absolute fine dining. Okay. There's a rest. There's a ramen shop somewhere in Asia that has a Michelin star. Okay. It's not, it's not fine dining. It's just, it's very simple, but if met every criteria, every guideline to be considered Michelin star. And when a food critic was there, I Michelin star food critic, I guess, when they went there, they said, yes, absolutely. Without a doubt, Michelin star, here you go. <laughs> and... <laughs> What bothers me is that there's a KFC in in Australia that's trying to fight to have a Michelin star. I think if it was under a different name, if it was its own chicken place, yeah, I would say they this guy was fighting for his he's He's right now fighting for that Michelin star. If it was under a different name, yes. But it's KFC. I... No. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. It's just... I, I don't even know what the judging is, but I know it's not like a Michelin star. I, I don't know either. I, you, you have to look up what is the actual... How do you, how do you get a Michelin star? Right. And like That's uh, a big thing of becoming a chef it's not all what you know in the kitchen it's not you have to research you have to expand yourself you have to 
do the work. Right. I I respect this guy in Australia for fighting for his. Is he your favorite chef? Is that the guy you're talking about? No, no. He's he's just he's like some random guy down in Australia who, if he's trying to fight for a Michelin star in his KFC, right? He's got to live and breathe and bleed the kitchen, right? So if I were him, I would just start my own chicken restaurant, my own fried chicken restaurant, and make that Michelin star. If that's what he absolutely wants to do, because I'm, I don't associate Michelin stars with KFC. It's fast food. Also, Ram did Ramsey when he left his... When he left his uh, restaurant, mm-hmm. did he get his first mission star? Oh, it with took his a... first opening. I don't think it was with his first opening, but I will tell you that when he left, and I, I'm not entirely sure if we're talking about the same thing. Um, when he left, uh, I don't know what he was, but was this years ago? Okay. Then a documentary on it. Th- oh, then we're definitely talking about the same thing. What the crazy thing is is that when Gordon left that restaurant, well, let's let's Chef Ramsay. When Chef Ramsay Chef left that restaurant, a lot of the staff in that restaurant followed him. Yes, and the place almost had to close down. Right. Yeah. He's just he's that good. Yeah. He is actually. And so he's not he, a he he's not a television chef. I d I don't know I, I don't know about enough about the culinary world to even know who is a mich- like a TV chef and mm-hmm. not a TV chef. So I I don't have no opinion on anyone. Guy Fieri is a fucking TV chef. I will say that until the sun comes up. Okay, I kinda see that now. I guess you can say Guy Fieri is I I I don't I have. A, <laughs> I don't have a problem with him. I see. I just see him as more of a food critic. I want to see him in the kitchen. I want to see him yeah. in the weeds. I want to. Yeah, you also got sick from one of his freaking burgers. <laughs> so like yes. <laughs> so like I mean, it was on his menu, and it was the first burger that I've ever put down, and I said no, I'm I'm not happy with this. Yeah, but you can't blame Guy Fieri for that. I'm not going to blame Guy Fieri. Um, it, it's more so the cooks. I I hate to throw blame at anyone, exactly. I hate, I, especially I, in the kitchen. Me, personally, I think he is more of a TV chef than a, mainly any of the chefs on TV. I'm, Just from my my two years of experience. Like, he is a, he's a television chef. He had a... He went to different spots and like his big thing was the Triple D show and mm-hmm. I watch that shit all the time because I fucking enjoy the shit out of it. Right. I love it. And I love his personality. He's funny as hell. And I'm sure he's a cool guy. Right. But you know, it's, it's I just I wanna see him and I know there have been a couple episodes where he's been in drivers down in the dives where he's, you know, like been Behind the scenes, he's dabbled in a few of the dishes here and there. But no, I want to see him start to finish work an entire dinner service. He can probably do it, bro. I don't know. I guess I want I want him to prove me wrong. I want him to prove me wrong. It'd be great to see him if he's like all about it. Then he should make a show of it. You know what? (laughs) You, you see a lot of these cooking shows where it's like 12 chefs, 12 top chefs compete, uh, 24 top chefs compete. No, I want to see a cooking competition where every top chef competes. And there's thousands of them. There's thousands of them. I want to see a show where Two it's... Two guys you're never going to see, and I think we've talked about this before. We're never going to see them compete. Mm-hmm. We're never going to see that. Bobby Flay and Gordon Ramsay. We're never going to see that. See, here's the thing. Uh, another person that I kind of consider as a TV chef, that but you deathly disagree with me is, 
is Bobby Flay is more of a TV chef. I completely disagree with you. I mean, I I mean I've seen I've never seen him in a restaurant, right? Working day in and day out, but from what you see in Iron Chef, you see him fucking using the knife. You see him using every technique. See, well, and I, that's why I enjoy watching Iron Chef because you see it's less talking and it's more like. The camera's more on the chefs, it's more on the cooks, or the chefs there, because, mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, they're not cooks if they're on that show. They're full-blown chefs. Or, you know, they're working their way up to be a chef, but they're working on their Bobby Flay or Gordon Ramsay or whoever is on their, uh, what's his, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm going to butcher his name. A Japanese chef. Oh, and... Morimoto? No, I butchered his name. I might be thinking about a fighter. <laughs> um, but like, I to me, to me, Bobby Flay is a, a chef. He's good at what he does, barbecue. I mean, he's a chef through and through. Right. He's, he's earned his, he's definitely earned his white jacket. So like, just because he makes money out of it, or he's famous, doesn't mean he's not a chef. I just I want to see more of him in the kitchen, and I want to see I want to see him outside of his comfort zone more than anything. And I should probably check out Beat Bobby Flay, where he's probably done a lot of that. He the one episode I saw was a she was a female chef, and she was actually on. Um, I was Iron Chef. She was on another show. Um, and then I watched the first episode of that because it was, I think, on Hulu or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. And I was like, okay, let me check this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and she competed against Bobby Flay. She was on another show. She was on... Okay, she was on... There's another... It's like an Iron Chef show where, like, uh, the no-name, quote-unquote, no-name chefs compete against each other. And mm-hmm. then they have to compete against... I think it's like two or three of Iron the other Iron Chefs. Oh, I would watch show. the hell out of that. Yeah, that's a pretty cool show. Um, and she was on there. And then I watched the first episode of Bobby Flay. And she was, from the show that I saw before, she was the first one that went against Bobby Flay. Okay. So I, like, that was pretty cool to see her there and then see her on, like, this other show. So, okay. So we're coming close to the end of it. But since we've been talking about Chopped and all of these other cooking competitions, I'm going to give you three ingredients. And I want to see what you come up with and how fast you come up with it. All right. Right now? Yes. Okay. Spinach, monkfish, and limes. Ceviche. Some sort of ceviche? I feel like you played it safe, but I can accept that. <laughs> I mean, lime, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. What's monkfish? I don't even know what monkfish is. It's like, I, it's, I think it's a flatfish. Or, um, no. There's two types of fish. Uh, round fish and a lean fish. Oh, I'd have to look it's it up. Flatfish. Yeah, look up what a... Do you have your phone on you? Yeah. Look up what a monkfish looks like. So that way we can... Because I feel like I know what I'm talking about on this one. No, but a monkfish ceviche actually sounds really good, though. Ugh. Let me see. Okay. Let me see. Sort of monkfishes, but it's sort of like a catfish, sort of. That thing is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but exactly, I no, I yeah, <laughs> no, but that is, that thing has a lot of meat on it. It's one of those things where that's the beauty of being a chef. You're gonna come across things you're like, hmm. No, I think a monkfish ceviche sounds really amazing, though. 
Can you buy this shit? Can you actually? I think it would be expensive. So recipe, monkfish. It is mainly used, from what I see here, in curry. Really? It was a British Indian Indian recipe. Mm-hmm. So curry, spicy. Here we go. Monk curry and uh, monkfish curry and coconut milk. I think I would like to try that. You, but I'm, I'm. A curry ceviche. Oh, a spicy ceviche. Ooh. That doesn't sound too bad. I've had it before. It's pretty good. I, um, I'm. I will swear up and down that I think lamb sog. And I hope I pronounce that right. Excuse me. Uh, I will swear up and down that's probably like the best curry I've ever had in my life. Paired with some, you know, basic white rice, garlic naan. It is change your life good. It is, it's like $25 to get it though. For like one person. I, it's worth every single penny. You can have all your curry you want for $25. I'm going to go get me a lobster. I think that's my next food venture. You you haven't had my curry yet, have you? Yes. Really? Yeah, curry chicken here. So it's bomb. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it was good. Thank you. I want to do it again, but this time with actual lamb. I got a curry chicken with the rice. It's expensive to make, though. Lamb? Yes. Yes. Lamb, uh, curry itself, though, is expensive to make. Yeah. Well. But that's like my go-to comfort dish. My go-to comfort dish is vaca frita. Vaga frita. That is my... What is vaga frita? All day, every day. It is uh, flank steak. Okay. It's a... Uh, I don't know if it's a Virgin Cuban, but Cuban dish. Mm. Vaga frita, onions, fucking just white rice. Done. You have some little black beans to it if you want. I don't necessarily have the black beans all the time. Sometimes. Mm. Depends on where I go. But... Uh, last time I checked when we were doing our own little cooking competition, I think we were tied. Yeah, we're going to do another one. We might even do a review on here. Okay. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. That's going to that's gonna be coming up in the next couple of weeks. All right, yeah. So, through and all, uh, we hope everyone has fun. You know, like, we are, we're passionate about what we do. That's it. Absolutely. If you're passionate about it, go for it. Have fun. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. And as always, stay as always. As always. As always. Stay in our kitchen. No, don't stay in our kitchen all the time. You are more than welcome to enjoy the podcast, enjoy our food, and be excited about your next recipe. Excited about everything. Deuces. Deuces.